When we left the disciples last week, they and about 120 other believers in Jerusalem had become a tight-knit group. They could always be found in the temple praising God. Peter is emerging as a leader. No surprise there, right? We're going to talk about Pentecost today. You may not realize this, but Pentecost is a festival that was established by the law of Moses. It's not something we Christians invented. My perspective on the law of Moses is that God used the law to show the Hebrew slaves, this brand new little nation, that he is a different kind of God than the ones they were accustomed to in Egypt and Mesopotamia and Canaan, which is the ancient name for Palestine. For one thing, Yahweh is truly powerful, as he had demonstrated with the 10 plagues and the whole exodus from Egypt thing. For another, Yahweh goes wherever we go. He is not tied to a particular land. And for another thing, Yahweh believes in mercy and rest and forgiveness. So even before the law, he set up a Sabbath rest for all people every seven days. This was part of the creation story. But later, as part of the law of Moses, God also added a special Sabbath year to give the people, the land, and the animals rest. God promised to provide enough to tide everyone over during this year of Sabbath rest. And then, after seven times seven years, the 50th year would be a very special year of Jubilee. All debts were to be forgiven, all slaves were to be freed, the land that had been mortgaged was to be returned. It is a year of Sabbath rest, and there will be enough to eat even when everyone is resting for the second year in a row, because the 49th year would have already been a Sabbath year, right? So what kind of God is this? This is a very different sort of God indeed. So I want you to focus on the 50th year and on the shower of blessings there in blue that is associated with it. I want you to remember how Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry that his whole purpose, the reason that he came was to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to declare good news to the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, freedom for prisoners, and release from darkness. Notice how closely connected the year of Jubilee is to Jesus' purpose. Notice how closely connected God's purpose is to Jesus' purpose. They are one and the same. Another amazing thing God built into the law of Moses was a series of annual festivals. All of them had to do with remembering God's goodness or God's provision or God's forgiveness or God's blessing as we rest. And the requirements on our end involved prayer and thankfulness and plain old rejoicing. God delights in our rest and in our play. 
This is what God wants from us. And out of all these festivals, there were three that were the most important, three that required anyone within a reasonable distance to actually travel to Jerusalem for the festival. These were the Passover, the Festival of Weeks, and the Festival of Booths. That last one, the Festival of Booths, is a week-long community campout celebrating the fall harvest and commemorating how the Lord sheltered the Hebrews after their rescue from Egypt. While the Festival of Weeks, nicknamed Pentecost, is a week-long celebration of the spring harvest and giving thanksgiving to God for his blessing and bounty. So according to the law of Moses, Yahweh is a God of celebration. God, as we see him in the Old Testament, is not just about sacrifices, but about mutual thanksgiving and joy. God delights in our rejoicing. God rejoices in our joy. So why am I bringing this up now? Because I want you to understand the significance of the Pentecost we're about to talk to about. You see, Pentecost festival is 50 days after Passover. That's where the name Pentecost comes from. The Greek means count 50. Just like the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And this connection is not accidental. Pentecost is counted 50 days from the day after the Sabbath that falls during Passover week. So it's been 50 days since Easter Sunday. According to the Gospels, Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. So it's only been about a week, 10 days, since Jesus ascended into heaven. Only a week or so since Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power by the Father. So the community of believers is gathered in Jerusalem, men and women as they have been the entire week or so since Jesus' ascension. And it is now Pentecost. And they're together as usual when suddenly they hear the sound of a strong wind, like a tornado filling the house. They see something like fire that is divided up among them and comes to rest upon each one of them. And from the context, it would seem that this includes the women as well as the men. And I, I love the imagery of it being a single flame that is divided up. All of them are completely filled with a Holy Spirit. This word for filled in the Greek is the same word we get our word plethora from. <laughs> a plethora of Holy Spirit. They were completely filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And they began to talk in different languages with words the Spirit was giving them. I can imagine them all just rushing out into the street, bubbling over and shouting the unfamiliar words that they couldn't hold inside. Of course, the streets are already crowded with all the people who have made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. There are people from all over the Roman Empire. This is a big deal festival. And they all speak different languages. 
But here are these local men and women running around like crazy people speaking of God's glory in the native tongues of the strangers. How could this be? Some people start laughing at him saying, oh, they're just drunk. But that doesn't explain the fact that these uneducated, Aramaic and Hebrew-speaking Palestinian Jews are praising God in languages from the far-flung corners of the empire. Peter and the other apostles gather together before the crowd. Peter stands up and in a loud voice says, I will explain this to you. Listen to me. These people are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. No, what you hear is a prophecy being fulfilled, the prophecy of Joel. In the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your teens will see visions and your seniors will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit upon my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will go dark and the moon turn to blood in the face of the great and fearsome day of the Lord. Well, that might scare you to death if you hadn't studied the Hebrew Bible and these old prophecies. But we know that the day of the Lord, though fearsome, happens at the very end time. It is the day we are to lift up our heads because our salvation, our rescue, our fulfillment draws nigh. We know we can trust that God is good, even through no matter what it is we're we're going through. We have no need to fear our God. Even though our bodies may perish, we are safe in the Lord. And sure enough, the prophet Joel knew this too. Peter continues the quote, The sun will go dark and the moon turn to blood in the face of the great and fearsome day of the Lord. And anyone at all who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says, listen to me, people of Israel. Jesus of Nazareth came to you with power and wonders and miracles, so you would know he was sent by God. You know this. God sent him on purpose, even knowing in advance what you would do to him. And sure enough, he was handed over to those who are against the law, and you did crucify him, putting him to death. But God released him from the agony of death, for it was not possible for death to be his master. As King David prophesied long ago, I have set the Lord before me always. He is at my right hand, therefore I cannot be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Now remember, Peter is explaining why the believers are all speaking in foreign languages. David says, My body will rest in hope. That word hope really doesn't translate well in Greek and English. The original Hebrew in the psalm means security or confidence. So I I might translate this as my body will rest in confidence 
because you will not leave my soul behind in Sheol, which is translated in Greek as Hades, and Peter is quoting the Greek version. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter says, folks, I can tell you freely that our patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is among us today. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had sworn to him to set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw the resurrection of the Messiah, his descendant. He saw that the Messiah would not be left behind in Hades, nor would his body decay. And it is Jesus that God has raised up. We, we have all witnessed this. He has been lifted up to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the Holy Spirit that was promised and has poured out what you are seeing and hearing now. David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, meaning the Messiah, the Messiah, this is like God said to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies as a footstool beneath your feet. So the house of Israel can know for sure that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Well, when the people hear Peter's words, their hearts are pierced. They say to Peter and the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, change your purpose, and be baptized, each and every one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for those far in the distance, however many the Lord will call to himself. And Peter speaks many other words earnestly, testifying and encouraging the people, saying, Be saved, healed, preserved from this twisted generation. That word twisted is the same place we get our word scoliosis from which is a twisting, crooked growth of the spine. The word is not connoting evil, but is pointing to a misgrowth, a spiritual misalignment that can be healed. Peter is not scolding them. He's offering them an invitation, good news. And that is exactly how it lands in their hearts. About 3,000 people become believers that day. And as time goes by, the believers steadfastly pay attention to the apostles' teaching. They eat together and pray together. And everyone is amazed <laughs> at the many wonders and miracles that are happening through the apostles. And being believers, they share everything. They sell their possessions and property and divide everything up among them as needs arise. Every day, they continue to be of one mind, meeting in the temple, eating together with exuberant joy and simplicity of heart, 
praising God and being looked upon with favor by all people. And the Lord keeps adding to their number more and more people who are being saved, healed every day. Notice that this is still the Lord's doing. This isn't because of the apostles preaching talent or good looks. This is the movement of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts to heal them. And that healing brings more believers into the group every day. Everything's rocking along just fine until one day, Peter and John decide to head into the temple to pray. Now that's nothing unusual. It's about three in the afternoon. And they see a man who has been lame from birth being carried to the place where he begs every single day. The gate where he sits is called the beautiful gate. But in Greek, that word beautiful carries a deeper meaning of being perfectly timed. The moment he is placed at his begging spot is the very moment Peter and John arrive at the temple. When the man sees Peter and John entering the temple, he begs for alms from them. Peter looks intently at him. Notice that Peter sees the man for who he is as a person. This man is not just a beggar to Peter. By seeing him, Peter has already begun healing this man. And Peter says, look at us. Peter is establishing a connection and opening himself and John to the gaze of the beggar. You can imagine that this beggar is used to avoiding eye contact, not wanting to seem threatening in any way. And yet here he is being invited to gaze into the eyes of another human being. More and more healing is already happening. Slowly, the man raises his eyes in hopes they're going to give him something. But Peter says to him, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, get up and walk. Peter reaches down, takes the man's hand, and instantly the man's feet and ankles are strengthened and made firm. The man jumps up and goes into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people in the temple know this beggar. Of course, they see him every day, and they are absolutely dumbfounded at what has happened to him. The man doesn't want to let Peter or John out of his sight. He clings to them while all the people who hear what's happened come running towards them. And Peter says to the people, why does this amaze you? Why are you looking at us as if we did this ourselves? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has honored his servant, Jesus, the one you betrayed and rejected in the presence of Pilate, who was ready to release him. You rejected the holy and just person and asked for a murderer to be given to you instead. You killed the originator of life. But we bear witness 
that God has raised him from the dead. It is by faith in his name that this man has been strengthened and made completely whole right before your very eyes. Now I know that you and your rulers did these things in ignorance. And in fact, that's how God fulfilled the words of the prophets who foretold that the Messiah would suffer. So repent and return so your sins may be completely obliterated so that times of recovery and refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord and he may send Jesus the Messiah to you. Notice what the Lord is offering. It is healing, refreshment, and complete renewal, not salvation from a fiery hell. God is all about life, not punishment. Salvation is about recovery and healing. And also notice that Peter is talking about God sending Jesus to these people. This is after the crucifixion. This is after Jesus' ascension. So Peter explains. He says, it is necessary for heaven to welcome him until the time comes for the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his prophets. Moses told us that God would raise up a prophet from among us and that we must listen to him. Moses said anyone who does not listen will be completely rooted out from among the people. Yikes. Peter is probably quoting the Septuagint translation here, the Greek one, which does use a very harsh word that means vengeance, that rooted out bit. But if you go back to the actual quote in Deuteronomy 18.19 in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew words are much milder. It says God will call to account whoever does not listen. That's not at all the same thing as being rooted out for vengeance. Peter says, all the, all the prophets from Samuel on have spoken of the days we are living in now. You, you are the descendants of the prophets. You are the people of the covenant God made with our forefathers. The covenant that says, Abraham, through your lineage, all the lineages of the world will be blessed. Having raised up his servant, God sent him to you first, blessing you as you turn away from your wickedness. What a message. Peter is on fire. The words of the Spirit pour out of him. Healing pours out of him. This is not a message of fire and brimstone. It's a message of purifying fire, of wholeness and restoration. It is a message of good news. In our breakout groups, we're going to compare the Holy Spirit, as described in the Hebrew Bible, with what we've seen so far in the New Testament. All right, so this discussion could have gone in a whole lot of different ways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what way did it go in your group? Shirley got it really quick, and so we could talk right away. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell me, Shirley. Well, what I saw was that the first 
group of verses was about, let's see if I remember it right, um, power. And the second group was about prophecy. And the third group was about healing. Hmm. And the power and the prophecy and the healing that the Holy Spirit gave was the same in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as it is in the New Testament. There's no nothing different about it. Doesn't seem to be, does there? Wow. One thing, one thing we noticed was that with the the power and the prophesying and the healing in the Hebrew Bible, all of those came from God. Whereas in the New Testament, basically they all came through or from Jesus. Who gave acclamation to his father? He said, you know, from my father, but still. When he said, I will, he, he distinguished himself to me as a different, you know, not exactly the same. He's not God. Not not the same in the persona. This is where right. Christian terminology gets confusing. So I don't want to, you know, yes. try to yes. define the Trinity at this point. But <laughs> Sure, sure. World. But, but that, it is interesting, that first one from, from Luke's reading, basically, he's telling them, Okay, my father, i.e. God, has promised you something. Now I'm going to send it to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's where I find a distinction, and I think it's delivered that way on purpose. Yeah. I I wonder if the things coming through Jesus is to continue um validation that he's dead, but the power is still coming through him. He's still alive. That it's about God having resurrected him and he is functioning. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. He's dead, but he's still still got the power through him. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have the power because he's given us the Holy Spirit and we have the power. And And something something Julia was talking about in our group is that when you first become a, you know, or first become a believer or baptized, you know, whether it's through confirmation or whether it's through, you know, being baptized into another church, you're on fire. You're, you're ready to spread the word. And that I see that in these three verses, because those, the Hebrews were willing to go out into the middle of a desert and follow either a pillar of clouds are a pillar of fire because they were so excited. And then as the new, you know, that intermittent between Jesus's crucifixion and that they kind of became, eh, I got to see it to believe it where a lot of people are. And then after when Pentecost came, those people got the fire again. And I, I find that that's so human. It is. Shirley, you were saying something too. Yeah, sir. Um, just that the difference that I saw was in the Hebrew Bible, the Holy Spirit came upon like one person at a time. Um, or maybe on a small group of people, but you don't see it as widespread as you do on the day of Pentecost. That's interesting. Good point. And another thing that I saw was in that second pairing, 
at least the way I'm reading it, when Saul gets filled with the Holy Spirit along with the um, the prophets, the other prophets, they are all prophesying, um, I'm assuming in Hebrew, because they all were from the same group, where in the New Testament, they are speaking in languages that they never learned, but that people in the crowd understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one is sort of an, an an inward feeling of joy and empowerment, where the other one is a pouring out of the message of God's power to, to people, everyone. people who maybe not uh, never heard Jesus preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Certainly never heard Jesus preach, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great distinction. I've never figured out whether or not they were actually speaking in those different languages. It says every man heard him, heard them in his own language. So I've never been sure if the Holy Spirit switched the message in midair so that every man heard it, even though it might have come out in Aramaic or Hebrew, everybody heard it in their own language. Mm-hmm. I've never quite figured that one out. Mm-hmm. Well, in the NIV version that Gail put on the study guide, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's so I guess that would go down to. The, of, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that would go down to what did the original Greek versions say? Mm-hmm. Sure. Nowadays, there's a lot of. It's not any language except one that somebody else is then going to turn around and say what it said. That's, I've had a long history of translators. Yeah. <laughs> you've got yeah. a whole group of people with one person basically, and I hate to use the word gibberish, but that's what it sounds like most times. And then if somebody else has to be the, yeah, the interpreter, he says, and here's what they said, and that kind of opens up a whole realm of. Things it doesn't really fit to this as far as <laughs> looking at it. I've had those experiences too, being in that situation. Yeah. But doesn't it say, didn't we say a minute ago that it says in one of the translations that they were speaking in languages that they had not learned? I mean, that- I guess it made it. It, it's it's the the actual um, word is uh, heteros, which as in hetero, as in other, um, which means different somebody oh, okay. else's. Okay, so it the, definitely the word means um, it, it says they were filled with all Holy Spirit and began to speak in heteros other not theirs, <laughs> languages, okay. as the Spirit was giving um, them, uh, and then there's uh, a really long word, mm-hmm. apathegami, which um, means uh, to speak out, to declare. So they were, they were speaking forth, they were preaching in these other languages. 
So you know, and, oh, go ahead, Woody. I'm sorry. I on this question of whether the language they languages they were speaking they had not previously learned. Do we have any idea about whether or not people of that at that time and those in that place would have known more than one language? Oh, certainly they did. Yes. Um, All the cotton came there from everywhere, right? Well, wasn't, yeah. wasn't Israel kind of on a main trade route? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Israel so, is, continues to be the center of the X. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. So people from all different kind of countries would have came through. So would on trade. So you would think that they would have a little bit of familiarity, especially like businessmen or people that worked in shops or whatever would buy this stuff, would have a little bit of knowledge of the language, other languages. But, but they're not good. The these are not merchants we're talking they're about. Not, they're not merchants. They're the disciples were just people that were living their lives. So, I mean, this 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 passage is kind of interesting because my my uh, mother in law was I don't know what they called themselves. I, they had a name, but everybody they 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 were very um, enthusiastic about speaking in tongues and like Pentecostal. Uh, maybe it is Pentecostal. I don't know. I, I heard different things. I heard Foursquare at one time and I heard different things, but it always amazed me that when one person stood up and spoke in whatever it was, that nobody else could understand them until somebody else spoke up and told them what it was. But that's yeah. not the way this says in here. It was like people could understand, everybody could understand it. Because it was well, in all their own. Language. At least the the guy. So if you know, if if you were from from you know Persia, you would be hearing Persian. If you were from Greek, you would be hearing Greece. You would be hearing Greek. It was wherever they were from. That was you would hear. So why? I mean, I I'd seen this a couple a couple times. We went to church with Jeff's mom, and I had seen people do this, and I was just like totally confused to what was going on. But you would think that if that was the Holy Spirit speaking through somebody, everybody would have understood it. Kind of is what this is. If if that's if the if if you go with that theory that they're just speaking, they're just praying out loud, and people are understanding it in their own language, whatever it is. Um, I I don't think that's what the Greek is saying here. I think what the Greek is saying here is that the individuals were speaking, different individuals were speaking in. A different, you know, different languages as the spirit okay. gave them utterance. So one guy, you know, we would we would know if somebody in this group started prophesying in French. We would recognize the language. We wouldn't know what the heck they're saying. I wouldn't, but we would recognize that that was what that language was, right? So these okay, people yeah. would have recognized the languages. They would know that they're being spoken to people from that area. Okay. Okay. And, and this has been taken out to be, I mean, I've been, I've spent a long time at one point trying to, to not rectify is not the word, but to, I was involved in things that where a lot of stuff was happening that I felt weird about. And that was one of the things where you have 
hundreds of people and you've got just one saying something you don't know and the other like saying this is what they said. <laughs> but, and I don't believe, I think what we're learning today, what I heard a minute ago when I was talking, that doesn't really jive with that. Mm-hmm. But they, that's not what was happening they, here, you know, certainly. We, we're going to run into that later in the New Testament, but but that's not what was happening here. Okay. On a different note, Renee brought something up that I'm pondering and keep thinking about, and that was about the healing, how they had to be in close proximity and touching. And that makes me think the Holy Spirit was in the person that was there to heal and by touch connection was able to connect with the person they were touching. Does that make sense? It does. But remember back to um, Jesus, to, to when Jesus was around in the Gospels. And remember how uh, the story of the centurion and how um, everybody came to Jesus mm. and mobbed him for healing. Exactly what you're talking about. They had to touch him, had to be healed. And yet the centurion who lived some distance away, you know, sent messengers to say, my, I think it was his daughter that was ill. And I don't remember if it, this was the daughter or the servant. I get the stories mixed up. I think it might be the servant. Um, but anyway, somebody in his household was was dying on the point of death. And um uh and and Jesus said, All right, I'll come. <laughs> you know? And and Jesus starts heading over to his house, and the servants all run ahead and run back and tell the centurion, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And the centurion sends them back to tell Jesus, you don't need to come. When I give an order to my soldiers, they do it. I don't have to go look. They do it. Said, all you need to do is say the word and she shall be healed. And Jesus said, yeah, somebody finally gets it. <laughs> and so, and he heals the the daughter. And, and I'm sure I'm combobulating two stories here, but that did happen. And, and the point is that still happens in this apostolic era. This still happens um, when the Holy Spirit comes. The point is not about us. The point is the faith of the person being healed. And so we're going to run into some stories here real quick where people start mobbing Peter and there's so many people they can't get to him. So they just kind of try to drag him close enough to get in his shadow because then they'll be healed. (laughs) But the point is the faith of the person being healed. There's nothing magical about us. Right. We tend to need to see that touch. We tend to need to have that close proximity. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit needs that close proximity. Exactly. It's like Jesus kept saying, that that voice was for you, not for me. I already knew that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This area, though, is one that um, I think becomes quickly toxic teaching in people who who um are into to signs and wonders and miracles and 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 spiritual healing 
um, that if someone is not healed, they are then blamed for not having enough faith. That's exactly so it's a, right. It's a, a testy area to navigate. I'm so if, glad you brought that up. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if people basically, you know, oh, oops, it didn't work. Well, it must be your fault. But the guy that just got healed, he didn't even know. He was just begging, right? What we read a minute ago. Yeah, he, had, he, he was waiting in his head. And it wasn't like, oh, I really believe you're going to heal me. Because, again, I've been through that all, too. If you didn't get healed, it's something you need to work on. I have a story about that. I may have told you all this before, but I think it goes right to that. My daughter has severe asthma. And as a child, it was it was awful, really bad. And we went camping at Bandelier and took a day trip to Chamayo. And Chamayo's a mission with a sacred that was sacred for the indigenous people before the the mission was built. And there's a place with dirt that you can touch the dirt and be healed. Well, we went and we did this and I prayed for my brother and my daughter touched the dirt and I didn't ask her anything about it or anything. We all did it. The room is full of crutches and canes and apparatus where people have left their their things behind because they're healed. We get home to the bandolier, which is camping, camp out, primitive camping, pack in, pack out. And there's no electricity except in the bathroom. That night, she had the worst asthma attack you can imagine. And it kept the entire campgrounds up. We were in the bathroom nebulizing her all night long. And the next day, I was talking with her and I told her, you know, we were talking and and she said that she had prayed that God would take her asthma away. And I said, well, you had this really bad asthma attack last night and everybody's asking if you're okay. And she goes, I'm fine. God took that asthma last night. Well, he didn't, but she sure thought he did. And she was pleased with herself beyond belief. So she had the faith. It just medically didn't happen for her. But she has that faith to this day. And and I think that it matters the um our perspective on this matters. This is a, a, a really good point. Um that in everything, everything we do as a believer all we are called to do is to stand and praise god and testify to what god is doing in the situation our words matter the things we say to people matter but it is our witness to the the greatness and wholeness and invitation of god is what matters if god if some if someone desperately wants to be healed and that's not what god is doing in their lives today god is working in them in a different way i would i believe in praying for people who ask for prayer 
I believe in playing with people. I believe in touching them, as Julia, you know, points out. If the, the, I believe in that connection. But what happens and what doesn't happen is what God is up to. Uh, and and my the amount of my faith and the amount of their faith, all of that matters. But the important part is the faith and the results, the goals, the end goals and the results always belong to God. That's God's job, not ours, not theirs. So true. You know, I wonder if, when she talked to the people the next day, because there's no telling what this daughter would say, if she touched their hearts with her prophecy, you know, mm-hmm. they were strangers. They went on with their lives and we went on with ours. But even though it didn't go away for her, her faith was so strong. She may have touched people to see how powerful she was in that oh, moment. Sure. That that could have been what the whole point was. Yep. And thank goodness for science and that nebulizer machine in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had an asthmatic Sandra's that way. She was a brittle asthmatic. And when you when you're in the doctor's office or the emergency room and the doctor turns white as a sheet after examining her, it is like yeah, it's it, yeah. that that is a uh, well, and and just speaking as a former emergency room nurse, um, when it gets that bad, Julia, like your daughter was experiencing, where you had to nebulize her all night, frequently that can tip over and become fatal. Oh yeah, we had we the had retractions and everything. The fact that she survived out in the middle of nowhere with the only electricity being in the bathroom. That, that is a was, was a powerful thing because it could okay. very easily have just tipped over to where there was no, no opening up her airways enough for her to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to point okay, out. Yeah. Well, and, and and your daughter was right because daughter daughter God got her through that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got her to the other side. He might not have taken her asthma away totally, but I know with my food allergies, there are times when I know that's the only you know God got me through. He didn't stop the reaction, but he got me through it. Same. Yep. And getting where you so, God put it on you either. Like, no, I don't think so God, either. I think it's just not my God's will for all of the sickness and all the things. That's a whole other study. Well, I, I want to. I'm sorry. I want to go back to what Gail just said about that it's, you know, it's God's plan. It's not up to us. But I see that that could be um, very difficult for children who have been blamed for things in, in a very accusatory you know manner and they feel guilt and stuff that when they that they're not feeling heard when they pray. I mean I can see that natural progression. And mm-hmm. so you know well-adjusted emotional people, 
may not be thinking that, right? Um, and I mean, I can just see, I know we're talking about it being misinterpreted, but but I can see how that would happen. Mm-hmm. Especially if parents don't understand what we're talking about to teach their kids. So I just wanted to share that. I'm sorry. We're getting, this is when we start getting to this part where the power of the Holy Spirit falls in amazing ways on individuals widely, as I think it was Renee pointing out, I can't remember who pointed that out, that, you know, used, used to seem to be like these sporadic leaders and prophets. And then now it just seems to be very wide and broad. I want us to 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 think and remember that the reason for miracles and signs and wonders all the way through Jesus' ministry was to be a billboard for God, to be a billboard for the people saying, listen to this guy. He's saying what I wanted him to say. Okay, he's telling you the truth. He's telling you how much I love you and what I want to give to you. The signs and wonders and miracles are not an end in and of themselves. That's not the goal. It never was and it never will be. God will will heal us in, in every possible way. But some of that's going to happen on the other side of death, right? These mm-hmm. bodies aren't going to, it's, we're going to get sick. We're going to die. Bodies will fail. Bodies do fail. And it seems to me the witness in the Bible so far has been very consistent that the times when these miraculous things happen are times when God's trying to say, these people are telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. so when we see it happen it's peter preaching peter's telling you the truth this i want you to listen (laughs) this healing is happening okay um and and i'm not i'm not at all sure that the witness at least what we've read in these in these stories so far is that all of these people went back to Cappadocia and Persia and Macedonia and all the places that, and started healing other people. That's not what it sounds like, is it? What they did, what happened to these people is they heard God's offer for wholeness and 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 healing, inside healing. You know what I mean? The The change direction you know, have your sins obliterated kind of healing that don't carry that weight around. Don't drag that cannonball around with you anymore. God's not interested in that. That's what these people went back with. Gail. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily need you to do the expository on it, but can you give a couple of examples of where Scripture is specific enough for us to draw the conclusion that um, 
the healing we're looking for is for most of us something that happens on the other side of death. I don't think all I don't think it all is. I think our healing starts now and continues to the other side of death. I think it's both. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking for some. So we have this, the specific scriptural examples of where healing, the complete healing, as we understand the stories happened in individual people's lives. Um, what I'm looking for is pointers to the conclusion that um, healing continues after death. Ah, uh -huh. yes. So that would be in the the biblical in the Hebrew Bible prophecies, and it has it is bound up in the fact that death and evil are not like done away with until the end time. So it's not, um, there's not going to be a scripture that says, well, you know, you don't get healed. Say you have some, some chronic illness and you die. There's not a scripture that says, well, and at that point you get healed or at that point you don't get healed. It doesn't. It's there is the scripture indicates that God is good, that in the presence of God, there is no illness, no evil. The The whole idea of, of the refining fire is, is like in the presence of God, all that is burned away. You, I don't think you can help but be healed in the presence of God. But the world and creation, the spiritual realm and the physical realm, all of that, is the prophets are unanimous on that happening at in the day of the Lord at when after, after the after the coming of Christ after the coming of the Messiah and there's tons of prophecies about that state and what it looks like. There's a First Corinthians uh, just googled talking about how our bodies become imperishable. Talking about uh, they have. Total healing in heaven for their bodies never to die again. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that was 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 or something that just popped up. Whether that's what mm -hmm. you're talking about. Well, then our bodies serve us in this life, but our spirit, our spirit isn't crippled because our body is crippled. Our spirit Correct. is whole. And right. so our spirit just no longer needs this body so we can rest well, assured that that's going to a, no longer plague us there's a different we have some kind of imperishable i think we talked about that last time some there was a word uh glory glorified mm -hmm. something like that because there's mm -hmm. those that follow jesus will have bodies that are like his mm -hmm. perishable glorious powerful and spiritual I'm not sure we got to Martha's question, though. Okay, yeah, I was thinking it said this after they will have total healing in yeah. heaven for their bodies. That and that is that is it. We haven't got to that verse yet, but yeah, right. that's in there. Martha, right. Martha did 
is this circling around what you're wanting or are we missing the point? So am I muted or unmuted? You're unmuted. Okay. So you're getting torted in, um, in some of the specific examples, like the 1 Corinthians passage and your comments about the prophecies are helpful. I, I am hearing a lot of what we believe. And what I was looking for was the what points us to that belief. Sometimes I don't know that scripture is necessarily the source of what we believe, that there are truths that we can um, conceivably understand without that, though I feel like I need to be pretty careful about that. Mm -hmm. um, I would be cautious about, someone mentioned the, um, our bodies may be uh, very ill, very broken, but our spirit is not, and I would um, I understand that our spirit and our mental health are not the same, but sometimes the body is perfectly healthy and the, 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 the brain is not, and the, 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 which is how people express themselves. And so I think of spirit there, but it's not, it's not a perfect uh, analogy. Um, I just, uh, this, this is where I spend a fair amount of my time trying to, put pieces together and um, and to be honest um, and and hopeful without being uh, wishful thinking or um, right yeah um, I just I just feel the the I have to work on what what's honest here and what can I, uh, when I think about people who suffer and who suffer, you know, really long, I, I really stay pretty far away from at some point you will be healed. Um, okay. because that's pretty hard. One thing is pretty hard to imagine, but somebody suffering that much, it's like, and Paul says this all the time, it's I'm willing to suffer because I know I won't suffer forever. I'm willing to suffer because I'm suffering for the right things. And I'm like, oh, that's just so hard to hear. It may be the truth, maybe, but it's really hard to hear. Um, something that on, on kind of, Martha, where you're talking about is... I no longer believe that what people told me when my mom had cancer for 15 years and died, they were like, well, somebody didn't pray or, you know, they had all these excuses as to why God didn't heal her. And from doing this Bible study, one thing that I noticed is that it seems like most of the miracles and healings in the Bible were more life change. It was like a life changing moment. The moment they were healed was a life changing moment. But isn't that what the Bible says about when the Holy Spirit is in your life? I mean, when Jesus, you ex I don't want to say accept God because I don't think you have. To. I mean, people don't know who He is in the places, and they they still get saved. Right. Still yeah. ahead, you know, whatever that. I got a lot of terminology that's not making yeah, a lot just of sense. Yeah, when you connect, when you finally when connect. You connect. When you finally connect to God, 
it's a life-changing moment. Yes. And I'm wondering if that's what the Bible is trying to say <laughs> with when this person was healed. Well, this beggar, he'd been there forever and, and everybody knew him and nothing helped him. But as soon as he believed, his life was changed. Now, to make it in human human understanding for the people that wrote, translated the Bible and stuff, they said he could get up and walk. But, I mean, there's no, if you go, like, there's no empirical evidence that that happened. But what right. happened is he had a life-changing moment. Even if he never walked again, if he still couldn't walk, it still changed his life for the better. Beings, I tried to bring that out in the in the lesson that the seeing and being seen was was healing there. Yeah. So yes. even though he still is afflicted with whatever problem he had, a person has, they're still healed because they are assured that. In, you know, after whatever, you know, you die, our bodies give out and we die. We, we still have life. We still have a future. We still have a Yeah. Yeah. And I, and so I think maybe that's what they're talking about when they're talking about people getting healed. And then people, you know, they said, okay, you got up and walked. Did he get, I mean, maybe it was because it changed his life and he got up and walked spiritually. Mm-hmm. Not oh. so much standing up and walking because his legs were healed. But that's the way the writers put it so that people could understand that it totally changed his life. That's beautiful. We don't know if that's, which, right? Because like you said, there's no evidence, but that's a beautiful thought, Renee. We are reading very ancient stories. Um, yep. And, and but God is still God. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, and I uh, agree with Martha that you have to be careful with your words, with someone who is suffering, like your mom suffered, Renee, for 15 years with this cancer. It's just the, the point in all of the Bible and ever in all of this, the good news is God is dwelling with us. God wants to be with us. God wants to connect with us and will connect with us. And, and no matter. Same opportunity to consider. Hey, Gail's back. Can y'all hear me? Yes. I can hear you. It's trying to. It's trying to. Figure out what happened. My internet burped there, <laughs> but um, I'm striking a good pose. Yeah, it was. Sorry mm-hmm. about that, but but I was just just saying that that God God is with us. God is with us now. God is with us in the future. God is with us whether our mind is gone or whether our mind is healthy. God is with us, whether our body is broken or whether our body is healthy. And God, God's very presence is healing. I think the good news is that God wants to heal us. What that looks like now, 
in whatever mental or physical state we're in, it's going to be unique and individual. But I believe that God is there and that it makes a difference. That it makes a difference. And the very, just the very awareness of and of God, of looking for God, of believing and trusting that God is good. And that God yes. will heal us in every way, physically, mentally, and spiritually. That that is the end state for us. That is the eternal state for us. And that that is coming, that God is doing it. <clears throat> that is the I, good news. Yes. I, I want to, if I can, Renee said the life-changing moment. And I've actually had several in this class mm -hmm. because of things that I have thought my whole life, right? And that's kind of what I was alluding, alluding to also when, you know, people put pressure on kids. I, I grew up Lutheran and my church wasn't as fire brimstone as some other Lutheran churches I heard. But I know that there's a lot of churches out there that talked about, you know, all these things you can't do because it's a sin in God's eyes, uh, the fire and brimstone lectures, and then, or, or you have to do good things. And what, what you're saying and what we're learning today makes so much common sense. And I'm like, doy, how, how did I not see this before? But these aren't the messages I think that we've been getting. And there's an awful lot of people out there that think that God doesn't love them. Yes. Or that they have to do certain things or think certain things yes. or whatever. And in my ministry, I find that it is like peeling an onion. That yeah. just being together and thinking and talking about these things, people begin to shed the baggage. And that and that child within them begins to feel free once again and begins to understand that these requirements and this these the heavy yoke is a lie yeah. that god delights in our rest and in our rejoicing i have a quick question hmm. Do we know how long the season of Pentecost was? That's what we talked about while it's you were a week. on the internet. It was a week. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They fact. spoke with tongues for a week. Oh, I don't, you know, the, the speaking in tongues, I don't know. It didn't say, you know, it did. They, it did not say the implication from the, rest of the new testament and the stories of these believers is that they continued to have these gifts now it didn't say that individual one individual did all the time whether it was a one-time thing when they were when the holy spirit like you said when the when the holy spirit changed their life in a in a new way um or when there was a need when when there was a need to communicate god's love to foreigners to strangers you know i juliet did i phrase what you meant correctly yes 
Mm -hmm. I think, I think it, it, what Gail's saying is they had that moment of transformation during that week and it may, and, and then that moment changed them mm -hmm. and they had power beyond because the Holy Spirit was with them. And I think, and as we go through, we'll see that the power seemed to be um, associated with particular apostles um, as as we go forward, and that that it sounds like as we go forward that just the regular people who aren't the ones out there preaching, you know what I mean, preaching the good news, but the regular people simply, their job was just to share with each other. And to support each other. And that was how the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. Wow. I had one last little question. And it's just for myself. Was the Festival of Booze. Was that Shabbat? Sukkot. S-U-K-K-O-T. Sukkot. Okay. Sukkot. I didn't or, say it right. Sometimes it's spelled S-U-C-C-O-T-H. But it's the same. <laughs> Because you said they were camping. Yeah, it, because it is. They live in the they they live in the structure. tents. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. we just had it. It just it just happened a few weeks ago. It's like a fall mm -hmm. festival. It's a fall festival. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. yes, okay, it is. I was just curious about that when you said it. Yeah, they they I call it camping out because everybody goes out and lives in shelters, a, a little tent like things that they create outside, and they have their meals outside and stuff. My son and his friend did that one time. Yeah, yeah. Lots of fun. It's really, really wonderful. And it is a festival where they particularly welcome the stranger. So anyway, we've gone way past time. There's lots to turn over, lots to think about. This is, like I said in the um, study guide, has a lot of baggage on it over the years. And, but And somehow we need to to become something we get we need to get to the place where it's something free where it's not a stressor it's not a requirement it's not a measuring stick it's something free that is already in operation in our lives that that we just need to open our eyes to love you see you next week thank, thank you. you bye bye, bye.